2: their essential
3: love of justice.
2: Hi, welcome to the Kudzu Vine. I'm your host, David McLaughlin. Join me as always. Welcome, Catherine Smith.
3: Greetings from Atlanta.
2: And welcome, Tim Shiflett.
0: Good evening, sir.
2: Hi, good to have you all on, and um, we're excited about this. May 24th, 2020 episode Join us, our guest, in about 20 minutes Coming back for the second time Author and columnist from the Tampa Bay Times, Craig Pittman The first time we had Craig on, we discussed his wonderful book, Oh Florida Uh, This time we're going to talk a little more Florida politics Maybe some other issues um, going on in the Sun State But that'll be up in a little bit But until then Uh, We're going to discuss some political issues of the day. And we're going to go back up north and Catherine to bring you back in this week. We're going to make you feel at home because we're going to discuss Michigan again, a state that really I think has been more in the news the past few months than it may have been at any time since we started doing the Kudzu Vine. Uh, This past week, Donald Trump went to visit a Ford plant. He actually wore a mask for a period of time, didn't want to seemingly get photographed in it, and then spoke without it, some strange way of having it both ways. Um, he was threatened for not being able to come back or, or be able to come. Attorney General of Florida. Um, then he made more Michigan. comments against the governor there. Um, and the people asked the question, is Donald Trump trying to purposely lose Michigan? Catherine, first, what do you think? And then why, based on what, do you, what
3: you think? Well, I just want to say that he was in my home county, in Washtenaw County, and one of the county commissioners said he wasn't welcome back after he was there. Um, he wasn't in my hometown, but he was very close by. Um, I, I, I don't think he's intentionally trying to lose Michigan, but I think the behavior that he's doing is making him look like he's intentionally – I think he thinks – he's doing everything right. I mean, that's the, thats the, you know, befuddling thing about this president is that he does everything wrong, but he thinks he's right. Um, they're not happy with him in Michigan. Now, there's a lot of people that are unhappy with the governor as well. But I don't think, I don't think the pro-Trump people outweigh the, pro-Whitmer people, at least from what I see from the, you know, I don't, I mean, I don't really follow the news there, but I don't know. I, I think he's just, uh, he being the president is, uh, he just doesn't know what to do. He doesn't have any clear, clear idea of what the best thing to do is, or he thinks he does, but he's wrong. And so he just keeps doing the wrong things. President Ford was not happy either. He made a comment. He yeah, I said, mean, um something like, "Well, those are the rules," but you know, he did, he didn't really criticize him, but he also didn't defend him. Yeah, you're, you're talking right.
2: about Gretchen Whitmer. I think she's definitely you know kind of the the punching bag for the people that really. Don't like her or want to reopen But then uh, there was a uh, Some type of approval rating up. It was Approval rating, approval on handling Coronavirus, favorability But it was like a 70% Positive number So by and large the people of Michigan Approve of what she's doing um, Even though that Other 30 or a portion Of that 30 are very vocal Against her um, But you know that's kind of the, the divide in a lot of these states, the, the people that dislike whoever the governor is, pretty vehement, and they make these um, visuals that look one way, but then when the you know the boring old polls come out, it shows that the people are um, you know not in their corner, if you will. Well Tim, let's talk about right. politi- the political side of this, not even having to go to Michigan or been lived in Michigan or visited Michigan. You know how important Michigan was to Donald Trump's 2016 victory. Can he afford to lose it?
0: Well, no. He he won it in 2016 by the, the grand total of 23 or point two three, of 1 percent, you know, a quarter of 1 of percent uh he uh, ten thousand seven hundred and four votes out of, out of millions you know he he doesn't exactly have a lot of wiggle room here um the uh, you know the thing's simple from from twenty twelve to twenty sixteen we talked about this before african American turnout in Michigan dropped by like twelve percent that's why Clinton lost the state barely uh trump Uh, In the meantime, got overvotes out of those little rural counties, and they added up to just enough to overcome places like Detroit and give the state to Trump. Um, He's doing some odd things here. He's attacking a popular governor. Uh, He's accusing uh, the Secretary of State, Benson, of illegally promoting Mail imbalance. Well, it, it, it's legal, and other states, including this one, are, are doing it. And, and he's screaming, you know, it's voter fraud. Uh, nonsense. Uh, all the state's leaders, also, here's an interesting thing: are women. Uh, and attacking. Women. Biden leads among female voters by like twenty six points right now in that state. Uh, you know, I sixteen electoral votes will gladly take because uh, he he seems to be intent on giving them away. I don't I don't know what his deal was the other day uh, the only thing i did understand guys was that he visited there it's a state like pennsylvania and arizona which he has both also visited that he won barely in 2016 and the polls show him behind in those states now uh but uh the the latest uh the latest polling shows Biden ahead in Michigan and uh, yeah, clearly ahead, too. There, there's no uh, in the margin of error stuff here. He is clearly ahead right now in Michigan, running like five and a half points ahead in real clear politics. And that's a pretty good lead.
2: Yeah, there's been a lot of polling out of the state. I think I've sent you some of it. There was one poll and I forget the service that was kind of margin but the rest of them were high single digits. There was also a poll, I think, or two that showed Gary Peters is in a much safer position than he seemingly was like five or six months ago. Um, so mm-hmm. it looks like clearly Michigan has moved to the left. It's become more in the um, Democratic column than certainly it was in 2016, if not even in, say, January. Um, so it's become mm-hmm. a real uh, problem source now um, because it's moved uh, so you know seemingly more safely in the Democratic column. Although you certainly can't count your uh, votes until they're cast, if you will. Uh, but at one point, Gretchen Whitmer was um, on the short list for VP. I'm sure she's still on. Actually, I don't know how short the short list is. It may still have you know double digit names for all we know. But she was on that list. Catherine, the safer Michigan's becomes, does
3: it hurt her prospects of
2: possibly being the V P
3: selection? Well, I I can't imagine that she would be the V P selection. It would I think it would be a big error. Um, she's a strong governor. She's got at least you know, two more years to be governor, right? And uh then another term. So I think it would be a mistake to Pull her out as governor to run for to run as VP. There's plenty of other candidates that are as, as strong or stronger, um, and I think now that Michigan is getting stronger in the Biden camp, anyway, seems like it would be a terrible loss to the state to remove their governor.
2: Well, I mean, I mean, I, I do know that. One thing is, David Neer was on the show the other week. He, he made clear that you really have to have somebody that's kind of ready day one. Um, and so even though you might say, oh, well, you know, we we have this red state and this purple state and this blue state, at the end of the day, you have to pick somebody that's ready. And, you know, somebody with executive experience, and there are other people, um, would be, um, to me, pretty attractive to run, you know, as the VP with a 77-year-old Um and, and having that leadership, because, like we talked about, uh, for all of Joe Biden's uh, experience, um, he's never been the head executive. He's always been the senator or the number two. So, um, you know, I, I would think a, a head executive would be attractive to add to that um, somewhere. Uh, Tim, your thoughts. Do you think this affects or hurts um, her chances if Michigan becomes? You know, clear in the Democratic column,
0: it probably hurts her chances. I'm, I'm with Catherine. I don't think there's any way she's going to get picked. As a matter of fact, I think there's a white female from up in that part of the country. It's, it's going to be Amy Klobuchar. Um, but, but I just, I, I, I don't, I don't think it would be her. It would be great to have a, 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 a governor. On the ticket, uh, that would check one of the balance boxes, but she doesn't check enough of the boxes. And uh, right now, outside of, you know, the political people, how many people know who she is?
3: Yeah, that's the other thing.
0: Um, I don't – if if he's already ahead in Michigan, uh, beyond the margin of error – there are bigger fish to fry in other places you know, like Florida and 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 some of them, so i I mean if we're looking at somebody to help us take a state, we're not gonna be looking to Michigan. I don't think I think uh we would be looking to Florida or you know North carolina, you know some 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 other state, but uh somebody from Ohio or something like that, but not not uh Not Michigan. Uh, Matter of fact, I believe we could do as well with an African-American female on the ticket among the Michigan voters that we need to get out there, especially those folks in Detroit to vote heavily. We could do just as well with, you know, with that angle as we could with with the very governor of the state up there right now.
2: Maybe better. Yeah. Well, I'll say this mm-hmm. is: I think the key rating, as far as uh, you know, knowing the person, you have the chance to get introduced to him. I, I don't think Mike Pence was a household name, and I sure know the former mayor of Wasilla, Alaska. Nobody had heard of, and that, and she seems to well, be the two different leader things. of the Republican Party over the past. It was decade. two different things,
0: um, David. for, yeah, for one yeah. thing, Trump. Trump wanted somebody like Pence that was basically a lamppost because Trump wanted to take up all the oxygen in the room, and he wanted to be the guy. and He just wanted Pence to be an, another member of his staff, basically. Yeah. And that's exactly yeah. what he got. And and he, he even chose mm. a guy from a safe state. So, you know, he, he didn't yeah. go, choose a guy to help him. He just chose somebody that that wouldn't hurt him and, and wouldn't uh, take up any news headlines because he wanted them all. And you know, as it turned out, he was right. Yeah. And John McCain, he he threw a hell mary pass in a way he had to, and you know, unfortunately, he ended up uh, having that pass dropped. But, you know, he, you know, just something wild to try. Biden's got a little bit different thing to look for this time. So,
2: mm. well, I, 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 I mean, I don't think she'll necessarily stick. And I think as Michigan, uh, you know, if it, the polling continues to say like it is, that will hurt chances. But I don't think I think she's probably one of the more well-known governors out of this coronavirus. Um, You know, Andrew mm. Cuomo is probably number one and then maybe a Brian Kemp. Uh, for the wrong reasons, or Ron DeSantis, uh, they may be a pie too, but I think she's one of the higher known ones out of this, so I think that helps her. But then, you know, Harry Truman, little no. known uh, senator from Missouri, uh, when Franklin Delano Roosevelt tapped him. Um, but Tim, you brought up Minnesota, you brought up uh, Amy Klobuchar, so let's talk about that now. I know we had kind of had it as a backup, it just seems to fit right now. Um, Amy Klobuchar, of course, she keeps getting mentioned. But I saw more than one place, and it seems to be more like Democratic leaning people, they're bringing up um, the way she treats her staff. I mean, I saw it in a tweet. Um, it was tweeted by one of our former retweeted by one of our former guests, about we don't want somebody that throws office supplies at their staff. Now, I will say this I think they should talk to a lot of her staff for the presidential campaign, and if she treated that staff, very calmly and professionally throughout that high-stress campaign, there's a chance she's changed. And, and, you know, that should be important uh, to figure in on this. But there's going to be more calculations in it. Um, Catherine, what are you hearing and reading about the the chances of Amy Klobuchar? I
3: think Klobuchar would be a huge mistake. I get that it's, you know, Minnesota and – we really want it I think both Minnesota and Wisconsin she plays well there and maybe even some other parts of the Midwest but I just well there's two things I like her as a senator and I just don't think she has the kind of um charisma that we need to to balance um joe biden i mean i you know i i like her i don't dislike her and this the way she treats staff i think that's been discussed a lot i think they have talked to a lot of her staff members and have not found a you know huge um number of examples of this misbehavior so i don't think that's a i think that's a little bit of a um just sort of an excuse. They don't. People don't like her, so they use that as an excuse. But um, I just don't think she would be a good balance for the ticket, in my opinion.
2: Tim, your thoughts on Amy Klobuchar?
0: Well, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure she's on the short list. Uh, Biden's people were very impressed with her performance. Overperformance actually during the the primary season. Uh, another very important item is that Joe Biden personally likes her, and she personally likes him, and that goes a long way
1: yeah, uh, sometimes
0: in determining in determining the pick. Um, I know if, if if I recall right, Hillary Clinton only won. Minnesota by like, I don't know, a point and a half, like I don't know, forty five thousand votes, something like that. It 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 was it it was close and uh uh no Republican has carried Minnesota of course since Nixon,
1: uh
0: in seventy two. Um, and Trump would very much like to go get it, and Amy Klobuchar could take that off the table. But you know those states tend to block vote up there. The trends don't seem to stop at state lines up there sometimes. It seems like the way Michigan goes, well, Wisconsin and... To a lesser extent, Minnesota will go that way, too. I've got to believe if Joe Biden on election night wins Michigan, then there's no worries at all about Minnesota, and I believe he will win Wisconsin as well. Um, that That's just the way those three states go. Uh, so that, that might—the fact that Joe Biden is doing well in Michigan might— Disqualify her about as much As it would Governor Whitmer Um, I think Still she is uh, On the short list I wouldn't be be overly surprised If he picked her But I believe there's probably A couple of people above her on the list
2: Yeah I'll tell you She's probably not the top of my list I, I will say this One of the more intriguing things If she were picked To me would be If she got picked, a a scenario where Kristen Kristen Gillibrand could call for it, you know, just as – I mean it's not her decision to make obviously. But if she could somehow say it's time for Al Franken to return to the Senate to fill that seat, I think it would kind of help remake her image a little bit too. um, But then return Al Franken to the Senate, which I think a lot of Democrats would like to see, but uh, that's just some kind of – you know. Third thing down reason And that's not the reason Joe Biden's Picking something it needs to be Who can be ready Mm -hmm. uh, to fill in For vice president um, from Mm -hmm. Day one if necessary Well we want to go ahead and welcome our guest in For the second time to the Kudzu Vine from the Tampa Bay Times And an author in his own right Welcome back to the show Craig Pittman
1: Thank you very much I'm I'm not with the Times anymore they laid me off in March But I'm now a columnist for the Florida Phoenix So I'm still in there pitching
2: I apologize for that. So no, many, it's okay. since you were there so long, so many of your sources and the book jacket covers and everything still um, yep uh, list. That. I understand.
1: Yeah, came as a I, shock I've to
2: heard me heard too. About, <laughs> well, I've heard
1: about the cutbacks that papers <laughs> suffered.
2: Um, yeah, that they've cut back uh, just on their publications yeah. and whatnot. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, well, Craig, um, last time we had you on. Uh, we discussed that phenomenal book, uh, Oh Florida, because you're a lifelong Floridian, which is yeah, uh, not I'm apparently of um, <laughs> the, the, the uh, most common species down there. So we <laughs> no, thought, well, let's no. have you back and talk, yeah, talk some Florida politics. Um, sure, for starters, if you will. But I yep. actually I, I want to talk about something different than politics. For I talk about politics, and then Catherine and Tim have other questions, and because it's uh, May. It's it's creeping right at Labor Day. I'm sorry, Memorial Day, and it's getting that mm-hmm. time where people normally would think about going to vacation, and a lot of people going down to Florida for vacation. But now it's appearing that there'll still be some people going on vacation, but not the numbers Florida's used to. What no, are y'all anticipating, not. and how's that going to affect your
1: economy? It's it's bad. I mean, you know that the, the uh, Florida's been trying to draw tourists since the 1880s, uh, 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 Harriet. Harriet Beecher Stowe actually started our tourism industry, believe it or not. She, uh, she moved here after the Civil War and uh, fell in love with Florida and wrote stories in the Northern Papers encouraging people to come visit, and they did. And, uh, and it's just kind of built from there. And, you know, in the last uh, several decades, that's been our, our biggest industry. It's actually surpassed agriculture and construction and everything else. And, you know, now with, um, with the people, you know, everybody doing the stay-at-home thing, it's it's really hurt the you know the hotels the casinos the theme parks had to shut down you know disney's anticipating a billion dollar loss uh, i actually um for a story i'm writing i actually called up a number of our nudist resorts we have the we have the largest largest number of nudist resorts in the country here in florida and uh <laughs> they're hurting too cuz you know they usually springtime is their big money time when they have lots and lots of uh people who want to be naked who drive down in their RVs and so forth and come down here and, and stay. And, you know, those folks, they stayed home. And, uh, so it's, you know, th- those folks, they don't wear clothes, but they have a lot of money, even though they have pockets, you know, <laughs> so, so they're, missing, they're missing out on that, on that, on those tourist dollars too. So, you know, it's, um, and it was, well, you know, we we have to laugh about this stuff because otherwise you cry. I mean, one, one, uh, one guy said, uh, you know, well, we're you know, normally when we greet people at the nudist resort where there's a lot of hugging and kissing, and instead we're asking people just to do a butt bump because <laughs> we think that's more sanity. Goodness. Well,
2: uh, we'll keep our clothes on for the next tourism question or two. Um, but – I know that I've been to vacation in, in several parts of Florida, and, I mean, if people haven't been to Florida, not only are the parts of the state different, but people t- you know tour in different parts of states for different reasons, or, or they come yeah. from different backgrounds, if you will. If you go more to the, the Panhandle area, you may be a little more southern, um, not as looking for as much maybe cultural sophistication. If you go to, say, the Tampa-St. Pete area, uh, that that area maybe gets some even European travelers, because I've been to the grocery oh, store, the sure. public's down there. They have oh, yeah. sections.
1: Uh, well, and I mean, and the, Dun- are the Dunedin, area gets, yeah, Dunedin area gets a lot of Canadians, because that's where, the, that's where the, um, uh, the Toronto Blue Jays do their spring training. So they get a lot of Canadians there. Yes.
2: yes, and so my question is, are there different parts of the state that are anticipating doing better because of their local, vacation, niche, or clientele?
1: Uh, Yeah, I think anybody that's, uh, you know, first, I I expect the Panhandles to do better because I think they draw a lot of their tourists from around the south. Uh, I think there's going to be a drop in international tourism uh, just because people are hesitant to to leave home, number one, but number two, because, you know, the economic consequences of all this have been pretty dire, and, uh, you know, I'm I'm not sure people are going to want to take time off. They travel to another country right now, um, uh, but if you're if you're if you're counting on people coming from nearby, uh, I think that's going to work. And in fact, I I believe that's going to be the focus of some uh, um, visit Florida, uh, which is our state tourism agency. I think that's going to be the focus of some of their advertising is encouraging people to visit their local tourist attractions to try and get you know Florida residents to at least kind of do something to help prop up the tourism economy. Um, uh, the other thing, too, is um, there are some things you can do on vacation that still fit with social distancing, like uh, hiking nature trails, things like that. And Florida's got uh, the, the, the this award-winning state park system. It's won four national awards, which is more than any other state park system in the country. And so uh, if you go, you know, you can go swim in a spring. You can go uh, visit a, uh, you know, world-famous beach or something like that and still maintain that six-foot distance from from the other tourists, then you're probably on a you know you're probably doing pretty good, and generally that's cheaper than going to one of the theme parks as well. Yes, well we've
2: got so much more to cover. I'd about uh, bathrooming, if you will, while you're in, in touring and staying places, because they say that's going to be a big inhibitor. But we promise to keep our clothes on. Um, <laughs> well, Election. Because if you look at 2018 around the country, it made so much sense. There were places like North Dakota and Indiana where Democratic senators lost, and there were so many pickups in the House where um, Democrats won in um, urban areas and suburban areas. And so um, while Democrats by and large did better, where the Republicans' gains were made a lot of sense. Except for one race, and that was incumbent Bill Nelson in Florida, had been serving since the nineties, had always won re election. He lost in a Democratic wave year in a state that is, you know, seemingly
1: a, a swing state that kind of follows the political trends. What happened? Uh, I'd say two things happen. One is Bill Nelson ran a very old-fashioned campaign that didn't fit the modern times. You know, he would get up and make speeches on the floor of Congress figuring that would get him news coverage and you know, it's like no, no, you need to be paid, you need to be running ads cuz this our we've got 10 different media markets in Florida and so you got to run ads in just about every one of them, which means raising an awful lot of money for your campaign. His opponent, Governor Rick Scott, a a millionaire in his own right paid for an awful lot of ads, and it it made the difference. Uh, The other thing, too, is that um, uh, you have to bear in mind that that, uh, Florida is pretty evenly split as far as the number of voters uh, in each party. And um, you've got to – so that's why most of our elections, our statewide elections, wind up in recounts. There's just that razor-thin margin between victory and defeat. If I remember right, Scott's margin of victory was about 1%. Uh, So if if Nelson had gotten out and really worked to, say, get the Latino vote out, that would have made a difference Um, uh, because uh, we had this tremendous influx of people from Puerto Rico who were fleeing the destruction from Hurricane Maria, and they have made a huge difference in the population in central Florida – there was a concerted effort by the Democratic Party and the Republican Party to register those folks to vote and in Florida and I don't think Nelson did anything at all if I remember right to to appeal to those voters to try and get them to come out for him. You know it's not a presidential election year, so you're going to have the turnout's going to be a little lower than it would be in a presidential election year so if you're running, you've got to do something to get people to turn out and of course, a lot of the folks in uh, die-hard Republican areas, like in the Villages, our major retirement community, they came out. I mean, they got encouraged to come out, and they all hopped in their golf carts and headed for the for the polls, and uh, uh, I'm not sure there was a similar effort by Nelson to do the same. Yes. Kind
2: of sounds like, um, to kind of use a Florida analogy, it would be like trying to win a football game in 2020 with Don Shula's 1970 playbook. It was incredible back comparison. then, but times have moved yeah. on. Lawton yeah. Childs and Bob Graham were incredible politicians couldn't use their playbook today.
1: No, no, definitely not. And now, now, and I don't know if you all heard this, but just today there was a ruling by a judge that could upend the whole apple cart where he ruled specifically that the, uh, the constitutional amendment that passed by a wide majority saying ex-felons should be given back the right to vote, he ruled that the state cannot require them to pay... Their uh, their outstanding uh, fines and fees before they get the right to vote back. So, and that's something that Governor DeSantis has been fighting tooth and nail. He wants them to, to pay, and uh, and the judge said no, no, that wasn't part of the vote. And so, you know, the the assumption is a lot of those folks are uh, going to wind up voting Democratic, and so we'll see what that does uh, in the fall. Hmm. Yes, sir. Good information.
2: Well, I'm gonna pass this thing over to Catherine. He'll pass it over to Tim. Catherine.
1: Okay.
3: Hey, how you doing tonight? I hope you're.
1: I am. I am full as a tick. I went to my in-laws safe. and ate barbecue. I, I ate barbecue, right. my in-laws. So I'm full. Yeah.
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs> so if I sound satisfied, well, that's why.
3: <laughs> <laughs> um, I understand that there's a um, you had mentioned in your exchange with David, uh, this thing about the Florida Panthers and some developers and DeSantis. Could you give us oh, a little yeah. more information about about
1: yeah. that? Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, uh, l- last last year, the Senate President, a guy named Bill Galvano, who's a lawyer in Bradenton, he uh, met with the Florida Association of Road Builders and also with the Florida Chamber. Very large campaign contributions, and then announced that he'd come up with this brilliant idea to that the legislature was going to sponsor the building of these three major toll roads and that that would create jobs, and it would connect the rural communities with the with the rest of the state and would help to stimulate development. And the, D, the Florida DOT was like, wait, what? Because they didn't have any of these roads on their plans. You know, they make these elaborate five-year plans. None of these roads were on their plans. And uh, it was supposed to be for the benefit of the rural community, several of which have already voted and said, we don't want them. We don't want to change the way we are. We like being rural. Uh, and the, the probably the most controversial part of it is that one of the roads – would actually cut through what's left of Florida Panther habitat. Florida Panther is our state animal, and it's an endangered species. And uh, the a biologist with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service wrote a memo to his bosses that said this will destroy just about all that's left of Florida Panther habitat. And I recommend we, you know, go on record opposing this. And uh, um, you know, it's just it's a uh, it. So they're go- but they're still going ahead with public meetings and public hearings in spite of the coronavirus. They're doing them online and to ask people for where should these roads go and what you know, how should we build them and are there any particular areas we should avoid? Um I, I have to say this is this is kind of a sidelight, but I I this I I have to tell you this part. Um one of the roads would go from uh Citrus County straight up to the Georgia line And so uh, I thought, well, I wonder if anybody told Georgia we're coming. So I called up the Georgia DOT, and they were like, (laughs) "Wait, what? (laughs) You're doing what? Nobody had told them." They were like, "That's going to kind of dead end out in the middle of nowhere. I don't know if we really want to do that." (laughs) So, so this is what happens when when politicians put themselves in charge of planning where roads ought to go. This is kind of the outcome of that. Uh, now, Governor DeSantis, there was a huge opposition to this this bill when it passed the legislature. Governor DeSantis signed it, and his justification was people need roads, and that's all he said about it. Uh, and that was 2019. Here we are in 2020. These roads are going to cost billions of dollars, and at a time when, you know, because of the coronavirus and the stay-at-home orders, the Florida's toll road system has lost millions and millions of dollars over the last several months. And so now there are questions coming up about, you know okay maybe maybe we didn't need these things before but now we really don't need them and we probably couldn't pay for them either so it's all kind of up in the air but the dot you know they're soldiering on with the thing so we'll see what happens
3: what a crazy story. <laughs> yes.
1: <Yeah. laughs> and you know, and it's that's like oh it's you know, that's like a Tuesday in Florida, you know. Well
3: that was really interesting. I'm gonna pass it to uh David. I mean to Tim. Go ahead, Tim. Okay.
0: Uh good evening, Mr. Pittman. Thank you for being on with us tonight.
1: My pleasure. Um
0: recent polling is showing that Joe Biden actually is leading Donald Trump among senior voters nationally. Now, Florida, as we know, is one of those states that has a larger um, share of seniors than the national average. Right. Um, These seniors in Florida, though, yeah, these seniors traditionally, though, are pretty conservative is right. there any indication that they might be swinging in any way toward Biden?
1: Um, I haven't seen it, if it's there, uh, but, you know, we'll we'll see. I know a large number of those folks have been pretty alarmed at what's been happening with the, with the uh, coronavirus pandemic, mm-hmm. and, and especially the way it's hit the, the nursing homes pretty hard. Polls have shown that people are more cautious than the government leaders about getting back out in public and circulating. And so, if that mm-hmm. tra- translates into them not necessarily liking or trusting what they're being told by the government, they may be inclined to vote against what the government folks say they should do. You know, the, it may influence mm-hmm. their decision in the presidential race. On the other hand, so much of that is personality-driven and and driven by what people see on TV ads. That at this point, mm-hmm. you know, we're still several months out. It, it's kind of hard to predict one way or the other. Um, but well, in general, in general, I'd say you know, just kind of wait and see.
0: Uh, As for the pandemic itself, now Florida is a very unique state with its tourism and with its population mix. Is the pandemic viewed by the residents of Florida as more of a health issue or as more of an
1: economic issue? Uh, I'd say largely health issue, but it's a a big economic issue too because part of the problem – with basing in your economy on tourism, is that that means you have an awful lot of people who are part of the service economy, mm-hmm. and you know when when bars and restaurants shut down and hotels shut down, that means those folks they're out of work, and that's why mm-hmm. Florida's unemployment claims have climbed to a point beyond they even had in, during the depression, and it mm-hmm. would, it put so much pressure on our unemployment compensation system that the whole the whole computer system crashed. I mean, just, mm-hmm. just flat-out crashed, and so there's been this growing discontent uh, among the people who have been battling that system, trying to get unemployment money, that uh, it's it's really become a backlash against uh, uh, the DeSantis administration, that he's been unable to get that fixed yet. And, and mm-hmm. I, he has – how can I put this? He has, instead of expressing sympathy for the people who are – in that bind he has blamed the people applying for benefits and said it's their fault (laughs) they haven't been able to get the system to work um Um, and so that may not work out too well for him in the long run because hey you know a lot of a lot of those folks they do vote (laughs) you know uh if you make them mad they're liable to go to the polls (laughs) Um,
0: now um you know donald trump earlier made a big very big deal out of Renouncing his citizenship of the state of New York and saying yep. he is now a resident of Florida, do the people of Florida view Donald Trump as a fellow Floridian?
1: Well, uh, you know, he he has had a residence here for quite a number of years. Uh, I'm trying to remember the mm-hmm. date when he bought Mar-a-Lago, but it's been quite a while ago. I want to say it was in the, in the 90s or the early 2000s. So he has had a mm-hmm. part-time residence here for quite a while, and, you know – floridians have learned not to look down their noses at people coming in from outside because two-thirds of the people who live here are from somewhere else which is that's a higher Mm -hmm. percentage than any other state except nevada so Mm um you know he and and he's on the side of the state that gets a lot of people from new york (laughs) so the way Mm -hmm. he behaves is like (laughs) a lot of people from new york have moved to florida um (laughs) you know they're they're kind of (laughs) used to that so uh um you know the the people who are accepting of him are people who, I think, like his politics, and obviously there are quite a few people who feel that way. And the people who don't like him calling himself a Florida man, well, they're the ones who are not happy with his politics. And like I said, Florida is split pretty much down the middle uh, politically. I mean, we're not a red state. We're not a blue state. We're a purple state. <laughs> you
0: know. Yeah. Now, as, now, as far as handling that split, Val Demings has indicated yes. that She's being vetted by the Biden campaign for the vice presidential mm-hmm. nomination. Would her presence on the ticket be enough to swing Florida toward Biden in any significant way?
1: That's a, that's a good way to put it. Um, I think she would bring him a tremendous number of black votes, but I think he would get those anyway. Uh, mm-hmm. I think what, what would happen, though, is you might see a bigger turnout. In the minority community, mm-hmm. if she was on mm-hmm. the ballot for him, and she does mm-hmm. bring some pretty impressive credentials. I mean, she was she was Orlando's first black police chief, so she's mm-hmm. got a real strong law and order background. Um, I don't know if she's got the sort of national profile that he would want necessarily, though. Like uh, Kamala Harris or or uh, Stacey Abrams, just to pick a couple of mm-hmm. other examples. Uh, you know, although she was one of the uh, House impeachment managers, I, I don't think that raised her profile quite enough. But she'd be an interesting pick, and it's this choice has even more importance than it normally would have, because Biden has said, you know, I'm probably not going to run a second for a second term, probably whoever's going to be my v p, you know that's that's who's going to run for uh, run for president next. So I, I guess the question you have to ask yourself is, has she had enough seasoning nationally that she would know what to do if she ran for president herself? I, I don't know, mm-hmm. I don't know the answer to that at this point. Mm. Um, so, but, I mean, she she would be an interesting choice, that's for sure mm. I want to ask you about one more Florida politician
0: Then I'm going to send it back to David okay. um, Of course, we, we all saw what happened to Mayor Gillum yes. Earlier this year um, And if I'm not mistaken He is, maybe, I believe, is about the age he is Is he finished in Florida
1: politics? Oh good lord, no! I mean, <laughs> you know, we've had so many politicians mess up and then run for re-election. No, definitely not. I mean, he, you know, we had, uh, we, had, <laughs> sorry, we we had we we had a guy in Miami who uh, uh, ran for re-election and won while he was under indictment. So you know, it's <laughs> like, <laughs> it's, like yeah, it's you know, so, and and see, here's the, I mean, we laugh about it, but here's the thing: is every day we get about 900 people moving into Florida. And those people mm-hmm. are new voters. They have no idea the background of of anybody who's running. When the elections roll around, they they mm-hmm. they don't have any context. They don't remember what the problems were four years ago that everybody promised to fix and didn't. So they're making <laughs> their decisions based on what Charlie who lives next door recommends, and the fellows they know at the you know at the uh, at the Lions Club, and then mm-hmm. whatever they see, whatever TV uh, ads they see. So. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there. That's why we end up with a lot of politicians. We end up with. Let me just put it that way: <laughs> is that it, is it the voters <laughs> are brand new and they don't know, uh-huh. they don't know what's happened in the past, and frankly, a lot of them are still tied in mentally to what's happening in their home states rather than what's going on in Florida. Oh. So that's oh, you know, that's wow. both, the, both the blessing and the curse of uh, of uh, having so many new people moving in. You know, is that they may not be the the, the most oh. well informed voters in the world. Well, I've
0: never heard it quite put that way, but that's fascinating to hear. Uh, (laughs) And with that, that, I'm going to send it right
2: back to David. David? Yes, well, one final question. It's a little bit political, but a little bit um, sports-related too. And that would be seemingly when anybody talks about getting their league restarted, they mention Florida. And I think uh, Ron DeSantis has been kind of promoting this. And actually pro wrestling, they have no fans, but the, you know, the hub of pro wrestling for the world right now
1: is in Florida
2: mm-hmm. with the two and big the NBA promotions is talking about you know, broadcasting yep. weekly. Yep. Yeah. The
1: NBA is talking about starting um, here too. And then, and Tiger Woods is doing a charity golf match uh, today here in Florida too. So yeah. Mm. Heard MLS may, if they come
2: back, they're going to come back in Orlando. Is the latest thing mm-hmm. I've heard
1: American soccer
2: yep. league. Um, so, how do Floridians view that? Are they excited, or is that kind of like why are we bringing all these other people in, or what's their thought?
1: I think I think they're excited about it because I mean, Florida is definitely a pro sports state, and uh, you know, and anything that helps to stimulate the economy and get things moving again, I think they're in favor of it. And I think the other. Th- thing too is people think well if you get a little taste of florida you're liable to get hooked on it and so maybe it'll lead to in the long run more and more stuff being mm. being played here and being put on here and you know and that kind of thing so um you know it's just it it to be honest just sort of in a long-term sense what's happened with all the shutdowns and everything i think has made people appreciate what makes florida special uh so much which is you know the the beautiful weather we've had all spring uh the beautiful beaches that we're finally getting to go back out on and uh and the fact that we can deal with all of this influx of uh you know of sports type stuff so uh, you know it's it's uh I think they're they're very happy about it honestly yeah well
2: and, and obviously this is a short term thing it's kind of sure. like uh Florida would be the Hollywood of sports where you film games without fans uh right. now you know 5 years from now the Buffalo Bills versus the Denver Broncos and Tampa Bay, uh,
1: probably wouldn't draw much of a crowd if
2: you had fans. You'd have to have it in Denver. <laughs> probably
1: before. not. Probably not. I mean, think about it. The big rap on the Tampa Bay Rays and the Florida Marlins is they don't draw fans. Well, if you're not having fans come into the stadium anyway, what difference does it make? <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> yes, definitely. So, well, I, I tell you what,
2: I would love to have you on and down the road before this election uh to talk about um you know more Florida politics and so we also are gonna have to get you on uh, once I've listened to your new book about the Florida Panthers. But in the meantime yes. Catale writings writing every morning. day and Yeah and tell somebody,
1: tell everybody about that book.
2: Just oh, tell uh, everybody Cattail. where they can get the book and tell them where they can read your sure. writings.
1: Uh cat and the my latest book is Cattail, The Wild Weird Battle to Save the Florida Panther. It tells about how the Florida Panther got to be state animal thanks to, the floor, thanks to the state's school children, and then very nearly went extinct and was only kind of hauled back from the brink thanks to an unprecedented scientific experiment. Um, and this, there's some fascinating characters involved, a woman who gave a dying panther mouth-to-mouth resuscitation, which honestly is a, a commitment to the job you seldom see in America these days, uh, and even the, the Florida's fabled skunk ape, our version of the Bigfoot, actually makes a little cameo appearance. Um, hmm. And it's available on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, IndieBound. Uh, one of our local stores here, Tombolo Books, has a is selling autograph copies online. So if you want an autograph copy, that's who you contact. Um, and uh, uh, it's uh, it's doing really well. And uh, O Florida, the one you mentioned before, that was the one that was a New York Times bestseller. So I'm hoping this one will will head that way too. Yes, well, and I tell you what, given the popularity of typing,
2: and if you get the story, uh, given mouth-to-mouth exactly. resuscitation, maybe you'll have yes. a, a
1: sequel to that to, to do a documentary. <laughs> well, it, it it would be worth it. It really would. <laughs> There's some crazy stuff going oh, Yes.
3: On. <laughs> well, Craig, thanks
1: for coming on the show again. My pleasure. Take care.
3: Thank you. Thank you, sir.
2: All right, that was Craig Pittman of the Florida Phoenix and uh, author of so many books. And uh, like if we remember, we ha- he was on with O Florida, a lifelong uh, Floridian who really understands and appreciates the history of the Sunshine State. Um, well, let's kind of uh, continue on. Our discussion didn't get to – when we were talking about the discussion is there's just really not a lot of places for Donald Trump to play. Offense, and I think ever since say 2008, uh, Minnesota was mentioned by the McCain campaign as a place where they could place some offense. This would be a 12, 16. This would be at least the fourth cycle in a row the RNC Republicans have touted this concept. Um, Catherine, how good a target is Minnesota um, for the Republicans?
3: I just don't see it as a good target. Um, you know, it's been a long time since the president won there. It's a, you know, liberal Midwestern state with, you know, really friendly and um, hardworking people. I, I just don't see the current, uh, you know, Trump, the um attitude playing well there. Yeah.
2: Um, Tim, looking at the well, um, same thing with you – know, I, I think I dropped out. I was like, Captain, stop talking. Uh, T- Tim, same thought there as Minnesota's a target.
0: Well, yeah, I, th- I think uh, there's not many places they can target. We're very polarized in this country. But he only lost Minnesota, like I mentioned earlier, by 45,000 votes. Uh, It has a very low percentage of minorities. It is a um, lot of working class folks, especially up in the Duluth area. Um, It it is a state, if he's going to try to look to expand the map, I think that's one place he's possibly going to look at. I mean, when you lose a state by a point and a half, after you have won an election, you know why why not give it a shot the The other three places I think they may look at are Virginia, New Hampshire, and Nevada. Other than that, i don't really see where Trump could go, and when I mentioned those four states right there, I would rank. Nevada, I'm uh, um, not Nevada, but New Hampshire as his number one target because I believe Clinton only won it by like 2,700 votes, and then I would rank Minnesota as the number two target. What about you?
2: Yes, I I think they have to try to play offense somewhere. Obviously, when they only won by you know a limited number of electoral votes. Um, Playing all defense is not a a good place to be, so they got to find somewhere. Uh, Another thing that makes Minnesota interesting is one of the biggest targets congressionally um, for the Republicans is that 7th district, which is most of that iron range, includes Duluth, that Colin Mm -hmm. Peterson holds. I believe it's the district that voted by the largest margin for Donald Trump that supports uh, or has a Democratic congressman. And so Mm -hmm. if you did um, push some resources in particularly to that part of the state, then you're going to help Colin Peterson. I mean obviously with 400-some-odd districts, you can't target them all, um, but that's one that would be valuable. Also, there's another district, the third, which was a traditionally Republican seat um, that Democrats flipped because it's really interesting. Like when people think about the class of 2018, they think about representatives like – Ilhan Omar, who just won Keith Ellison's old Democratic seat. But people that actually kind of flipped the majority, the majority makers, were people like Dean Phillips, who really doesn't get as much attention but is in more of a swing district. Um, so those are two mm-hmm. places if you you know paid some attention to Minnesota, you could help preserve those seats, maybe strengthen them. Maybe they're not even at risk in 2020, but maybe in 2022. I know reapportionment will have to come up. 2024. Things like that. And Minnesota is also an interesting uh, state in that the city of Minneapolis and to an extent St. Paul were very Democratic. The southern part of the state, which was a little more suburban, um, pretty well educated, I think, where the Mayo Clinic is, that was more Republican. And then the northern part of the state was a bunch of working class union Democrats. That's the part of the state that's changed. Also, the southern part of the state. Has become more democratic, not democratic, but more democratic, and then, of course, the northern part of the state is becoming more Republican. It's definitely a state in tradition, but it's maybe a state where you reshuffle the cards, but the hand is the same when you get redelted. Um, Catherine, I mean, what do you think about putting resources in the state not necessarily just for the electoral votes?
3: Well, you know, I believe in a fifty straight strategy. So I think if if there's money available, I, I mean, that we need to raise the money to fight in as many districts as we can, and so holding on to the what we've got and trying to flip some others, I think that's a good plan. But it's all dependent on how much money we have. Yeah. you're
2: wow. um, Interesting to say it. Tim, go ahead.
0: Good. Well, you know, uh, I would imagine the Minneapolis-St. Paul TV market bleeds over into uh, the area of Wisconsin that Donald Trump really needs to turn out in order to hang on to Wisconsin. So if you play ball in Minnesota, you get two for the price of one. It helps you play offense in a Democratic state, and it helps you to play defense in an adjoining state that you just desperately have got to hang on to because Trump just can't afford to lose states like Wisconsin and I think playing ball in Minnesota, uh, if if the map looks pretty close to what we saw four years ago would would be really good
2: strategy. So yeah, good point. It'll be interesting to see how they handle that, um, both campaigns, because the, the map is, you know, I think it was Rick Wilson who said, you know, 35 states, nobody's in play. You've got to focus on those 15. And mm-hmm. it'll get whittled down to about five by the time all is said and done. Yeah. Minnesota is definitely in the 15 at this point, um, mm-hmm. if you will. Well, Tim, you kind of brought up a topic with Craig Pittman that was something else we we're going to discuss, and it's that. Um, You know, Joe Biden was not the Democratic choice of young voters, um, but he put together a coalition that has him on track to be the nominee. But since coronavirus has hit, polling has shown something very interesting, and I don't know if it was Joe Biden's in a good place to capture it or any Democratic nominee, presumptive nominee, was in a good place to capture it, but older voters – and this is not just Florida; it's throughout the country. And I've been fascinating to see if some states more than others, this is happening. But older voters are not becoming majority, but moving towards uh, the Democratic column. <coughs> um, how big a shift is this, Tim?
0: Well, especially during this virus, you mentioned that when, women right now. Among the, uh, Above the age of 65 uh, Biden plus 22 Men, Trump plus 11 Now, independent voters in that age group In February, before this ever hit Biden had a 7-point lead amongst that group He now has a 20-point lead Now, in 2016, this age group, as we know Voted for Trump by 9 points, 53 to 44 and they were over one fourth of the electorate. These people votes. Uh, and there's another thing: favorables uh, amongst this age group. Right now, Biden has is a, has you know twelve points above Walker uh, on his favorables. Clinton, at this same point in the campaign in 2016, was thirteen points underwater. Uh, Trump has a major, major problem right here. He simply cannot afford to lose this age group, which basically was his most loyal age group. He he, he cannot lose this group and win re-election. He, he just can't.
2: Uh, Catherine, now, we know that older voters are the most likely to turn out, so it's not like Joe Biden's going to necessarily have to have this GOTV strategy to get them to the polls because they may just go anyway. But what does he have to do to keep them in these numbers in the Democratic column?
3: Well, he probably needs to figure out a way that he can reach them to talk about health care and this crisis um, and also – Um, make sure that they're they're aware of their voting options because we don't know what we don't know what's going to what it's going to be like in November I don't I mean we could still be in some you know shelter at home state especially for certain people like elderly people and um, compromised people so I think those are two things that he needs to reach them about how they vote and you know what what his what he's gonna do about health care and specifically how he's gonna prepare us for this pandemic and future pandemics.
2: Well, that's a good point because it's seemingly health care has been a, a major mover. Now one more thing I wanna mention on this and get y'all's thoughts quick. Um, I just finished listening to a book about generational leadership called The Ones We've Been Waiting For, and it's about millennials, but they mention other generations and they talk about the time frame. And the great the greatest generation, it obviously had you know multiple presidents from it. And the baby boomers have had um, at least two. I'm not sure where Barack Obama falls in it, but I know Clinton and George W. Bush were both baby boomers. But the silent generation, the people that were born Before 1946, and I want to say the first year, that was, say, 1931, they've never had a president out of that generation. Michael Dukakis lost. John McCain lost. um, And there's at least one more I'm forgetting that lost. Um, So that generation's never had a president. Joe Biden, born 1941, would likely be the only person um, out of that generation should he win the presidency – I guess who knows? Maybe you know if he doesn't win, we'll have a, an 83-year-old nominee in 2024. <laughs> uh, the way things went this year, but uh, Catherine first, then Tim. Quickly, would that be a selling point to maybe a few voters that like certain things about both candidates, knowing that somebody from your generation would become president, be the only person in your age range.
3: I don't see how. Well, first of all, I don't know how you uh, easily talk about that because not everybody understands how the defi- how the generations are defined. Number one. Number two. I'm not sure that um, it's uh, enough of a um, characterization that it would have meaning for enough people to make it worthwhile to try to explain it. Because I think it would be you know, you can't can't do it in one sentence. It's more complicated. Well it'd be micro targeting. Yeah, you wouldn't waste your time
2: right. with baby boomers and Gen X and Millennials and IGen. You wouldn't waste your time with all them. It would be micro targeted towards voters a certain age well, and older.
3: Yeah, that's asking a lot of this uh uh Biden campaign. They don't seem to well, understand campaign. some campaign those yeah. what well, I mean, I, mean, if, I just' if don't somebody
2: think in democratic politics can figure it out. They're gonna have more than just the staff that won the primary. I mean they can add you know um people you know into the campaign or they can add right, anybody from the Obama got, campaign um, they've got
3: campaign leadership yeah. that isn't uh big on uh some of the new campaign technology and um, strategy. So I I just, I mean, I'm not saying it's a bad idea. I just don't know how you sell it and yeah. how you convince them that it's worth it.
0: Well, you you don't sell it by saying I'm from your age group. Joe Biden does not want his age to be an issue for obvious reasons. Secondly, he can appeal to that group. Catherine's already mentioned how by, by talking about health care, especially nursing home safety, which is a very important thing for people age 65 and over to hear about, especially during this time of this pandemic and what has happened in these retirement homes. Yeah.
2: And I think naturally he knows how to talk to the people in that age group a little better. Uh, When I saw him on early in all this, one of the main things he talked about, he was so lucky that his grandkids could come over and they could, they could be on the back porch and they could talk to the grandkids, but they couldn't hug them, they couldn't kiss them. And if, you talk, if he talks about that and Donald Trump talks about how much he misses the golf course, I think the average person at that age range is going to really identify more with missing their grandchildren, their even great-grandchildren, than missing their golf game. Um, so I think he does talk the language A little better uh, without thinking About the generational um, Aspect of this Well I want to thank again Craig Pittman for coming on the show ta- Talking to us about Florida And until next week it's been the cozy Vine Good night y'all Good night guys Good night, everybody. We are the